Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming back for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. We're all smiling at each other because the little recording notification on Zoom always surprises me. So I think I made a face. Um, <laughs> but um, And by we are all smiling, I mean Mike Huber. Hello. And Sam Balch. Hello. And Carol Garboden-Murray. Hello. Yay. So we're going to talk about an article that Carol has um, coming out in exchange. By the time the episode comes out, it will probably, the magazine will probably be out, right? Because it's January, February. Um, And it's about professional love. And before we, um, before I do the quote, I wanted to just ask you, Carol, to sort of define the term for us before we get started. So the listeners know what we're talking about by professional love. Yeah, I, um, someone told me about this, this Dr. Um, Page in the UK who was doing research on professional love is what she called it. Mm -hmm. And she is just um, studying this unique intimacy um, that is a part of caring for young children. This, these complex feelings of love that go hand in hand with care and um, specifically for those of us who care for babies and toddlers and preschoolers. I mean, I think you can love any age person, but <laughs> she's really looking at this intimate work that we do. And how do we talk about this love, mm-hmm. this relationship? And like your, all your work on care, it's, it's like, when I read this, I was like, this is what I couldn't articulate before. <laughs> so, um, so, so thank you for that. Oh, no. Ooh, are you all back? We're here. Okay. You were slightly frozen, but we're yeah. here. Okay. My screen, I felt that too. I my felt screen that too. went way back. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I felt that too, that I couldn't articulate it. And I was actually had a, a essay in my book about love and I took it out. I was afraid to talk. Oh, I was afraid. afraid. So when I found her, I was like, oh, good. There's somebody else. Yeah. 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 Okay. So here's the, it's sort of a longish quote because I couldn't find one that just was like quick and easy. That would, but, but I, um, I think this will set us off for our conversation. Um, So Carol, you wrote, since our society has traditionally held a narrow view of love as a feminine quality and has linked love of children with maternal instincts it's been difficult to name love as a professional educational value. Um, And then later at the end of that paragraph, you say what we experience when we build authentic, secure relationships with children is a deep knowing and a serious, messy, joyful, challenging sort of grappling with the complex issues of human care. Uh, There you go. That was great. Thanks. (laughs) So 
so I guess what we're, what we're sort of going to dive into is this idea that I've certainly experienced in my career of, you know, that some of us have heard messages of um, becoming too attached or um, not, you know, not being, not having boundaries. And it all comes down to this idea of professional love, I think is what, what those, you know, I've been accused of favoritism um, and, and reprimanded by supervisors for that kind of thing. Um, So that's where my mind first went when I, when I was reading this. And then I just thought about all the times I've told children in my care that I love them (laughs) and, and the various reactions. So I, I also today tried to look for a good definition of professionalism specific to early childhood. And I didn't really find one that satisfied me. Um, but I thought maybe that was a place to start with, um, uh, talking about what that professionalism means and then how we can make the case for professional love being okay to fit in there. If you guys have definitions or ideas or of of how we could define professionalism. I mean, I'm worried to start that conversation because as you know, Heather, when I start talking, we immediately, like I inevitably end up talking about how capitalism has sort of ruined all of this stuff. Sure, yes. And I feel like my first reaction is that if we try to define professionalism in early childhood, we're going to get bogged down in a lot of language that is really about making money like that Mm -hmm. pertains to professions that make money or increase capital for someone else Mm -hmm. and that aren't necessarily rooted in connecting with human beings, which would be the purpose of this work. Now we could we define it? Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, go ahead, Mike. Go (laughs) ahead. No, keep going. (laughs) Could we define it though, thinking about um, the care, the self-care of the childcare providers, right? That, um, what I worry about is people who like won't go on vacation. You know, the teachers yeah. who won't take a vacation because they love the kids. And it's, and it's uh, that you can love them and taking care of yourself is one of the ways that you can, you know, be more sure, present sure. when you are <laughs> loving them. But that people sometimes can um, take themselves out of it. Um, and I think that's important. And, and, and that's the one part where I feel like the professional boundaries are important. Sure. I love the kids. Yeah. But yesterday when, you know, a parent showed up 15 minutes late and I knew I had to, you know, that's my whole, you know, day is, or my evening is changed now. It, it was still like, no, I, I love your child. And at five o'clock, I hand them to you. I want to go home to yeah. the other children. I love them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have to pick up my own child. Well, I, so I think that sort of, factors or or fits somehow the idea um, that we don't, that there are those who think love can't be professional because love should just come naturally. And particularly for women, they should just be willing to love children and care for children. Um, And and we feel like maybe that's sort of what's devalued things like early, you know, uh, 70s feminism, you had to be anti-woman, anti-feminine to be a, to be mm-hmm. thought of as a feminist, and you had to embrace things that were seen as more masculine to be seen as um, as a feminist, right? Which which in and of itself is holding up this incorrect patriarchal toxic masculinity that men like 
for men, love is like transactional and it doesn't come naturally to them and they have to work at it and they're not the nurturing kind. And that is patently untrue and harmful. Yeah. I'm not a man. Maybe I shouldn't be talking. I feel like this is now like woman explaining. Sure. <laughs> a man here. Just, like, just say yeah. some of your best friends are men. And then some of, and my, I was some gonna, of I was my make best the opposite point when I, when I was talking <laughs> about people, the professionalism of people needing to take care of themselves, I was going to sort of, you know, I guess mansplain saying like women will are often the ones who are expected to, um, well, you know, just like the pandemic who took care of the kids when someone had to stay Absolutely. home. Yeah. And I think our, the field is the same way. Like, well, you don't need to get paid that much because yeah. you get to be with children and, you know, yes, you have vacation time, but do you have to take it now? Because, yeah. you know, and so it's like, we keep putting things onto people in this field. And I think it's because it's women. I think if it was mostly yeah. men, no one would ever think sure. to do that. Sure. We got to let so. Carol jump in here. Cause she's, oh, she's the quieter one. But I do think that is that, that, that love is part of why uh, it's, it's a, you know, sometimes not considered professional, right? Something that comes naturally, something you do from altruistic motives, you really shouldn't want money, you shouldn't want vacation. Um, And some people have even argued if we give more money to early childhood educators, it would it would not be good for the field because we want people to do this because they love children. I would love I would love to meet those people. I would love to know what jobs they have. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think also if we're defining professionalism, we could go to the other side and say, okay, maybe there's this, this generic idea of what it means to be a professional. Maybe you're dressed well, maybe you're, you know, acting in a certain manner that is, um, um, has, you have your boundaries in place and you, whatever that definition might be. You've got your tattoos covered. Yeah, you got your tattoos. <laughs> you're not. You're sitting in a chair properly. Yes. You have, you have your um. Your you know. You're you're taking documentation. Yes. Whatever whatever ideas we have about being professional, it might not be sitting on the floor with a little child who's slobbering on you. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but those ideas of professionalism are actually not professional, right? In our field, those are not professional, mm-hmm. right? So how do we make it normal to be holding a child, to be caring for a child, to be changing a diaper, to be um, um, laughing and, and cuddling and, and giggling and getting eye contact mm-hmm. and connecting, that is professional. In yeah. our field, those are, those unique intimate acts are what defines the profession. And yeah. in order to really engage in those ways we tend to fall in love with people when yeah we're that close to yeah. them <laughs> yeah you had another there's another great great quote um how can we spend hour after hour day after day week after week changing diapers feeding them lunch rocking them to sleep without falling in love with them <laughs> which absolutely I, which was really um really spoke to me when but- when i when i read when i read that part other and carol and like Um, when I, when I read that part, like the the first thing that like popped into my head was like, of course I'm going to fall in love with these kids. And I don't want to be part of a profession where I'm not supposed to, I don't want to be part of a world where I'm not supposed to fall in love with the people that I am caring for and learning with. I want that. I I want that for everybody in this field. I want you 
to love the people you're spending so much of your time and energy and heart and soul with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, a definition of professionalism has always been, um, uh, for myself, um, understanding what the work really is and then doing that work. So like understanding what children need and understanding how we can, um, support them is far more important to me than, um, as many have heard me say, whether you have tattoos or piercings, um, but also, you know, whether you hit dress code every day or whether you're sometimes sitting down instead of standing up and being busy um, or many other things that I've seen staff be sort of reprimanded for over the years. And, and then that, in that definition, this idea of professional love falls right into it because we know so much about attachment and the importance of physical touch to development and relationships and um, how that can impact every child, but also the trauma, you know, the children who have had the trauma that, that we need to, to acknowledge. Um, So, uh, so I feel like it's, you know, taking our expertise and applying it to the work and that's professionalism. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And maybe what what we've done in our profession, even, even when we've been doing the work quite well, maybe what we've done is we've been afraid to talk about the love. We, we go to the brain development, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we go to the brain development and we love this, like, I, I'm actually really sick of the brain development talk, you know, <laughs> that up with it. I don't want to hear yes. about neurons and, yeah. and pruning, but I, I just, but that's where we go. Brain development yeah. and literacy. And if you, if you got the book open and you're, you know, reading the, the story to the three month old infant, then you must be professional. It's like this attachment to academia, mm-hmm. categories of math, science, reasoning. And then, and even though we might be doing the work really well and loving the kids yeah. and caring for the kids, holding the kids, we've still been afraid to talk about the heart mm-hmm. and the body, the heart and the body. The brain is kind of where we've gotten stuck when, mm-hmm. we, when we try to prove that we're professionals yeah yeah well and um I, oh go mike oh i so i was you know i'm gonna fanboy here a little bit uh but so angie play ms chang you know the five principles of angie yeah. play are love risk joy engagement and reflection mm-hmm. and she defines love as the experience of being trusted heard seen and respected mm-hmm. and i just you know thought it was, it's a really nice way to look at it mm-hmm. and you know whatever that the Angie play folks can talk to you about brain development too but they usually don't yeah yeah <laughs> because they're much and, more interested in the other in love yeah. and joy yeah yeah and Carol when you were when you were talking about sort of that hesitation or that fear to bring up love and how we tend to go to brain development I'm just thinking about how in many of my experiences, even talking about like the love and the caring relationship has always been in the context of how it's going to make the child smarter, how it's going to make the child a more successful student. It's never about the fact that we're human beings built to love each other. (laughs) It's just, it's about, oh, it's going to make them, it's going to make them better. They're going to feel more secure. So they're going to want to come to school. So they're going to learn the math and the reading. Okay, sure. But all those things are true, Sam. Yeah, they are. And that's great. But don't, don't we also just want to love because we're built to do that yeah. because we're connected to these people. And of course we want to share with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Love them that, to love them. If, if you have to prove that loving them is going to make them smarter, 
loving them is going to it's it it, it falls back into into that category with of the of the capitalism right it's like the commodification yeah exactly we've made yeah. it has to have this other purpose outside of just right. this beautiful sacred Thing just just the other. fact that children in our care in our programs deserve it because they're yeah. they're human and they're children and we're there with them um I think that gets lost a lot but so I don't want to get hung up on the brain development thing but what I was what I was talking about that I didn't I guess make clear is that this is sort of another example and your care your care work too Carol has been this way for me where I feel like what we know now about how brains work and what's um, good for a developing brain and what's not so good for a development for a developing brain validates all of the instinctive instinctual kinds of stuff that we, that we've been doing before we had this information available. I was going to say, so um, yeah. as the man, can I just like say that? Cause nobody else <laughs> can say this part when all that brain development say it in a lady voice. Out, <laughs> and all that brain, no. When all that brain stuff was coming out, you know, all the research, I remember making the comment to someone of like, oh, so um, basically what this Time Magazine issue is about is a bunch of men have discovered that what women have been doing for yes. 10,000 years is, is okay. Yes, yes. You know, because yeah. it's like so obvious and yet there's this... Um, you know, I'll say patriarchy, like, yeah, has this thing. Well, we want this evidence base, like that word evidence. Oh, please. Term. It's used all the time and it means nothing because it's mm -hmm. like, well, what evidence are you looking for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're looking, looking for, for evidence, evidence that it's being loved. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They're looking for evidence that white men think are evidence enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> that a bunch of dead white dudes decided this is what <laughs> evidence looks like and this is how you get it. They're not as opposed dead. to listening yeah, not a lot. that's true some of them are, are still living um as opposed to just listening to women who've been doing this for a long time yeah something that i was really thinking about as i was as i was reading through the article which obviously i loved um was I, i'm just wondering like how i don't know hundreds of years ago right when ch children were cared for in more of a collective situation how harmed has this idea of professional love and how much of our hesitancy and fear about talking about loving children that are in our childcare centers and programs, how much of that has come from the messaging that parents and families have been being given for especially the past 50 years, but you know, the past hundred years um, that the nuclear family is the core of it, right? And that they, it's the parents that raise the children. It is the parents' responsibility. Mm -hmm. Everything they do falls on them. And it really falls on the mother. And the mother needs to love these kids the most. And, you know, you've still got messaging about yeah. how mothers who choose to send their kids to childcare are doing this terrible, evil thing. Yeah. Because why is someone else raising your children? Yeah. So right. I, I feel like there's almost this competition. Mm -hmm. that well the child care provider can't love my kid i yeah. need to love my kid yeah. and if the child care provider loves my kid they're stepping into who's actually raising the kids yeah. when we're yeah. not supposed to be like that we're we're yeah. working in tandem with the parents to raise the children yep. like it's not it, this is not a, an all or nothing game yeah. but we've made it that way yeah. as I, i'm speaking from a especially american perspective yeah. but it, that's how that, it's become yeah i've always been i've always like uh, when I had the babies and the toddlers, there were certain parents who, when they first came to the center 
and they were interviewing um, and they, they kind of treated me with, I don't know, it was, it was a certain disdain and I didn't quite understand it. It was like, it was the guilt. It was the guilt mm -hmm. of having to give the baby over and have you do have your CPA, you know, your, um, your first aid and yeah. CPR that ask these silly questions or do you lock the door and do you have a swipe card and all this security and you can just feel the anxiety. And I think that, you know, that is so true about the, about the parents guilt about leaving their child. And then when that relationship is formed between the parent and the caregiver, how that myth is just so dissolved because mm -hmm. every parent just, my experience, they, sometimes when they, the new mom is handing over that baby, there is this weird, almost competitive feeling yeah. and guilt and, and all these layers of stuff that I think it's, it's really the messages we've gotten from society that you're not a good parent if you're leaving your child at daycare and I'm going to raise my kid. I'm not going to have someone else raise my kid, mm -hmm. blah, 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 all these, all these statements we hear. Yeah. But I do think that is a myth that we've been fed because as soon as someone else loves your kid with you, it's the, there's no competition, right? right. You're just, just doubling it. It's not oh like it's God. being split yeah. in half. Yeah. You're doubling the amount of love that was there before. Right. It's the best feeling in the world. I can, yeah. I think my kids now that are, you know, grown and I just, I know the other, the other women and men that loved them. I, 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 I can't even, I, I could cry thinking about those other people that yeah. loved my kids with me, yeah. you know? And that's, that's I don't know if it's because the, I worked in childcare before I was a parent and then brought my children to the child cares where I was working, but I expected them to fall in love with my kids. I was like, <laughs> I am handing you the greatest baby and you're going to love this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just, and I welcome. never understood. And you're welcome. <laughs> and I never understood when it didn't work out that way. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And it's, it's, an, it's an idea like love being like a pie and there's only so many slices yeah. Yeah. that you can keep relighting. And it is, I, I feel like I might be mansplaining because I can't remember okay, the exact I give you permission not answer. to apologize for mansplaining for the rest of the episode. <laughs> but Carol's, uh, the Illuminating Care book, the, the Lanterns idea, I think in some, I can't remember if this part was in your metaphor, but you know, you can always add, you know, when you, with candles, with lanterns, you can mm -hmm. light more lanterns with it it doesn't decrease mm -hmm. what you have yeah. it just keeps increasing and I think that's the thing that our society right now like if you look in a culture where they're used to handing the baby off to the aunts and uncles and grandparents and the family friends they call family but you know according to western culture they're only friends or yeah you know distant relations but um yes. I think there's more of that idea that well, of course you would hand your the child off to other yeah. people and I, I that's what it, you were saying Sam yeah it is very cultural I think for uh you know my my experience is the United States I've never lived anywhere else but we do pride ourselves on being individuals and um and and that individual individualism instead of the collective kind of idea um does I think impact um or feed a fear of talking about recognizing professional love as something that is to be desired and expected. Yeah, I just just sort of little side anecdote. Um, being a teacher in Hawaii has been amazing for so many oh. reasons, but the school I'm at right now, there, so community care is massive in Hawaiian culture, especially pre 
white people. Um, but even now that the kingdom of Hawaii was overthrown and the Hawaiian people are still here, um, but it's still practiced, right? Community care and children, especially having so many aunties and uncles and people that care for them. And to have children just automatically, the majority of the time they call me my name, they call me Sam, but sometimes they will just automatically refer to me as auntie. And say, auntie, can I go get that? And it, it, do, it does something I would love that. to you. Like it, it makes you feel a different way. I don't really know how to describe yeah. it. It's just, oh, like, of, of course, like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it has really highlighted the, the tenderness of the relationship that children and teachers have to have them just refer to me as auntie and then, you know, just go about our day. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, oh, this is such a collective thing. This is a family regardless of where we live, but the fact that we all come together and care for you, we are part of what you're viewing as your family experience. And that is just so special. And, you know, I wish that for everybody. (laughs) Wonderful. And I love that. I think the first time I ever heard anyone talk about it was uh, Ron Lally, who is no longer with us. And I think about him a lot, but he was talking about that, uh, the understanding attachment and then having that responsibility to help the child hold on to their mom and dad or their, you know, whoever their, their primary caregiver is, help them hold on to that other all day. And having special training around separation and goodbye and, and, and return. And, and I, I don't know, that's really changed my, the way I talk to children in my care, the way I think about transitional objects, the way I think about rest time, this, I don't just, this privilege we have to help the child hold on to their beloved family member while they're with us. And then it is that triangle, you know, which is, it's just really, it's really something when you have that, that trust with the family, even sometimes, sometimes it's not, the family doesn't know how much work you've done supporting that bond, you know, and helping the child think about their family and, and all these different points of the day when the child opens their lunch and wow, I wonder who cut your sandwich in that shape today. And <laughs> someone at home really loves you. I wonder what they're having for lunch. Um, I don't know. I just love thinking about how we can support that attachment and that and that uh, identity that you are loved by mm-hmm. someone. Yeah. I think it's okay. certainly possible that someone working in an early childhood program could have an unhealthy sort of attachment to a child that that totally that would be inappropriate and I think that's um different than what we're talking about here um, right but I think you know sure that's a possibility too and and what you're talking about is centering the family whenever we can even though they're with us and the family's not right there we're still supporting that attachment and and, and acknowledging use- our role and I'm thinking of a past episode, which while we're recording this, it came out this week. But oh. when we think of children with special needs, too often teachers, educators, professionals, quote unquote, go with is we need to fix this child or get them to at least behave like the typical mm-hmm. kids, whatever, and not leading with love, you know, yeah. and that's, and, and I find often I'm sort of reminding teachers, like, you don't, you know, this child does play differently they do um perceive things differently than the other kids in your class 
Um, and I think after reading this article, honestly, because uh, I just read it yesterday, <laughs> I, I might try to use that language of, well, let's first figure out how to love this child. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And how, I, how do you I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's because when so I think good. about what I do, that's basically what I'm doing. Because they wonder when I come in, the kid's getting all excited and things. It's like, well, the, the child I was telling stories in the other podcast, but he comes over to me, hugs me. And then I started working in there several hours a day. And the first few days for nap time, he sat in my lap. Kid's like 50 pounds. But like a baby. <laughs> cradled in my arms. I had to sit on the floor and still I was could barely hold his weight, but did it for a few days. Yeah. And then eventually he kind of went on his cot and he, he's like four and a half and he's mm-hmm. a bigger kid, but that was his need was still yeah. that. And now it's kind of like, he does, he, he, him and I can communicate non-verbally. I mean, he has some language, but not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the love first, right? You know, that's what I started with. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to tell you how to whatever work with this child. I'm going to connect with this child yeah. I guess, first. Yeah. And I didn't I've, use the word love, but um, you know, yeah. I want to rethink that. <laughs> I've worked with so many teachers who would have been like, Oh, Mike comes in and he just babies them. And he does whatever he wants. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. <laughs> then he leaves and we got to get him on his cot. <laughs> but I think that's amazing, Mike. Good for you. That's and good for that little guy. <laughs> so is yeah, this I a good... The, I have the meeting with him next week to explain what I've been doing in the room. So yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah, we're, yeah. So now I'm going to use the word love. There you so go. Thank you. <laughs> um, is it time to, to talk about the difference between boundaries and detachment and how that fits into professional love? That's a question that you pose in the article, Carol. Yeah, I'd love to hear what people think. Oh, I was wanting to hear what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> How about Sam? But Mike and Sam are okay too. Worry <laughs> about. Um, I think when I when I read that question, that I all I thought all of the questions were really great, like reflective questions mm-hmm. to think about. But that's the one I spent a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. Was really that popped out to me? I was like, oh, what what is the difference between boundaries and detachment? And I think, like, I I think right now, at least in like my generation age group, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, this idea of setting boundaries is like almost a buzzword right now. Yeah. Like everybody I know refers to things as boundaries, like blocking people on Instagram yes. and setting boundaries. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Protect your space, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like in, in some ways we've kind of lost, it's got a little lost in the sauce about what we mean with setting boundaries and I think that there are healthy boundaries for sure. And I think that there are some people who say they're setting boundaries, but really engaging in detachment for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And I think a lot of times we might have people engaging in more like detachment style behaviors for like self-preservation reasons, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, of whatever might have, whatever might have happened in their life, they might be trying to avoid it happening again, or, you know, just, just trying to protect themselves. So learning to set boundaries with regards to professional love, I think is a very tricky thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of person that just loves all the time. (laughs) Like I just willy nilly, I will 
Yeah. I love these children. Um, I love the people I work with. Like I tell these people all the time. And I think there are other people that are thinking of, you know, telling the children you love them. Like, oh no, that's a boundary. I'll, yeah. I'll say that I appreciate them. Yeah. I'll let them, I'll say thank you. I'll be kind to them. But like to tell them I love them, that's, that's for me, that's too much. Mm-hmm. And I think I would view that as a little more detached, but I would need, but that's my like own experience of speaking. Mm-hmm. And instead I'd want to talk to that staff member or person more to kind of understand it. Like I, I worry about me passing judgment on what is detachment yeah. just because of who I am. I, I want to just respond quickly on that idea of say, telling the children that you love them. Um, Cause I think there's a gender thing here that mm. yeah. one thing about being a man in early childhood is every single male I know in this field gets investigated at least once. Yeah. Right. right. That's just part of being in this field. And yeah. so I, cause the kids always tell me they love me. And I, I, I feel like that, like in those bad sitcoms that like, where I say, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. so nice. <laughs> Great. <And I> don't <laughs> Thank you. I know I that's what I used you. to say to a but high school boyfriend. Time, I really don't, <laughs> I really do worry what families would think, especially with my current yeah, role. Sure. I don't yeah. interact with the families as much because I'm the coach for the teachers. So the right. parents don't know me direct. I mean, some of them do, but usually <laughs> whatever, yeah. certain kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I would be very wary of using the word with the child just because of past experiences. So yeah. I think it's exactly. easy to overuse it and just throw around, I love you. That's such a good point, Mike. I was thinking about like your, your story about loving this kid and this kid's on your lap when you're helping him regulate and rest and this kid's attached to you. So I was thinking like love, the boundaries in love. And I was thinking that, professional boundaries allow you to love the children because you um, you have a boundary where you see the child as himself. You feel the separation between you and the child. You don't, if you didn't have a proper boundary, you would, could go either direction. You could think, right. I'm going to change that child. I'm going to fix that child. I'm going to decide what the goals are for that child. And then you could be like overbearing, overprotective. You could love him, but it would be almost a suffocating, you know, not a healthy love. But yeah. you you have a professional boundary, so you can be you can really see that child, and you can be like, I really appreciate that child. I see that child's strengths. I want that child to follow his own inner impulse when it comes to learning. And that child knows that child has the uh, awareness and the, you know, just the empathy to realize, wow, Mike really loves me and I can be myself around Mike. So that boundary allows that love to happen. So the boundary keeps you from falling into an unhealthy pattern of Mm -hmm. fixing and Mm -hmm. over caring. Mm -hmm. The boundary also keeps you from an unhealthy pattern of detaching Mm -hmm. because the boundary you you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a funny thing. A, tr- a true boundary is good for everyone, right? <laughs> because it really does let you see each other and respect each other. 
And that's how I think of a boundary for professional love that, mm-hmm. yeah. that man, I really want the best for these children. I care for them. I mean, even my own kids, you know, but it's not healthy for me to do everything for them. It's not healthy right. for me to, um, you know, also, you know, just be detached and, 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 and judgmental. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I really have the boundary, I can see them, I can see mm-hmm. them. So then I'm not falling, um, I'm not sliding down those, that, that continuum of, of fixing and, and being frustrated and, and directing. Um, but it, it's, it is, I guess, back to Angie play that's love is respect, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm much more likely if a child tells me they love me, I, I might say, I love you too. And it's different for me than it would be for you, Mike, as you were describing, but I'm much more likely to, in a moment of connection, say, oh. I sure like you, Jackson, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and I feel like that is sort of, cause also there's the other side where people throw it around and just, I love you. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love you. I love you. And and like, it's, it's smothering and then, or it has had a or inauthentic. Yeah. 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 Or, or like, you know, where there's like, we all love each other. We're all friends. At right. We're all friends at childcare. I try yeah. to be very specific too. Of like, I, I really love how you, you know, whatever. I love the drawings you make for me. I mm-hmm. love, you know, like those very specific things. I might even use the word love then. I guess mm-hmm. I didn't even realize I do that, but I do. Yeah. But it's, I love the thing you do. Right. Sure. You know, um, so I definitely... Yeah, I get because you're it can get very if we just use the word, um, it's it can be just as empty as calling everyone friends. <laughs> yeah. no, don't hit our friends. Yeah. I just did. <laughs> I hit my friends all the time, actually. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. What else? I, what I else? just I just want to say though, the boundary thing, it seems to me from what I heard all of us say, it's more about that we always reflect on it that yeah it's going to be different for every single child every single parent um that you know the what, triangle relationship between parents or family and child and us so it, it is going to vary each time so mm-hmm. always asking because for some families it, it is and it is weird i used to teach in the neighborhood i lived in so mm-hmm. i would frequently have parents who i knew before they had kids um, but it'd be like one or two kids and the rest of the kids I didn't know until uh. they joined my class. And so then it's that weird, I know the parent already. And I, and I cause I, I um, yeah, I, I, it was that hard thing of where, where is the boundary here? Is it, you know, I don't know. And sometimes there's a, there's like the brokenhearted sort of love, right? Like you love a child and you have to recognize your boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. if the child is going to an home to an unhealthy situation or yeah. you are leaving, uh, you know, so sometimes you, you do what you can do. You have your relationship. So again, you see the child and you see yourself and you see the separation and you see that the time you have together and the role that you have in that person's life yeah. has its place. And that sometimes, sometimes we have to let go and there, that boundary is protective it's, it's self-protective because I yeah I, I want to comment on that real quick and unfortunately I can't in my head remember who this concept is but I think it's circle of influence I think is the term we would use and it was that idea that when there's a family that is in crisis what they want from us 
is to know that the child is in a place that is consistent, that they're cared for, that they're loved. And we aren't there to solve their food insecurity, their housing mm -hmm. crisis. But if the parent knows that we are doing that part, then it's easier for them to focus on the other things. If they're worried about the, you know, the guy they just left their child with, you know, yeah, they can't do the other things. So, um, and that might be one of those boundaries, right? That I feel so bad for this family. Here's the thing I can do. Mm -hmm. I can love this child, you know, while they're here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's an important thing to think about too. That's yeah. one of the ways the boundary works. Yeah. Time for last thoughts. Did we already do them? Did I already say that? I think the only, the only <laughs> other part is just the, the, sep the difference, the other boundary issue is the difference between being a parent and being a teacher. Mm -hmm. There is a difference, right? And so we can, yeah, there's lots to say about that, but we're not. Yeah, that, that could, that's a big, that's a big one. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, good to, it's good to contemplate that and think about that. And yeah. there are, there's a lot of bias in our profession towards um, teachers who don't have kids of their own too. Yes. That always bothered me. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, there's Sam. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. That's actually been a topic that I've been thinking about um, for the podcast oh, for a while I would love, to, I would love okay. to chat about it. Yeah. I get a number of parents who are surprised that I do not have children. Yeah. yeah. Like I turned 28 yesterday. Please stop. Yeah. And I've had teachers who Please. don't have children who are like, well, I don't know. I'm not really a mom. So is that okay? And I definitely, I definitely yeah. like yeah. cut myself off from things yeah. like, well, I don't know. I don't, I've never been a parent, so I don't know. I don't know this perspective. Yeah. And I All right. I yeah. I wonder about that. We've got to line that one up that. then. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so my last question is Mike, are we wearing matching nail polish again? I've got the snowflakes this time. Oh, okay. Gosh. Oh. Yeah. But we we are though. color coordinated. Yeah. That's Second episode. We missed out Carol. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Where's, where's the message beforehand? <laughs> um, well, you missed my color street nail strip party. I'm going to keep mentioning them until they sponsor the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, all right. Well, my, my color street representative is uh, Heather's. Oh, Micah Ogden. Well, she's, she's yeah. a knitting friend's daughter. Knitting friend's daughter. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Who is out and grown up now. Um, okay, well, this was great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carol, again for the writing. Everything you do is magic. A pleasure to meet you all. <laughs> and to Sam and Mike for being here. Um, also, you also came. So thanks. <laughs> Everything we do is uh, fine. Everything you do is yeah, really so great. And Thank you. It is not at the magic level, it is nearly passable. I have to have some boundaries. <laughs> with some of you um all right thanks everybody for coming to this episode um we'll have information about where to find the article when the when the podcast is out so um that will be when you're listening to it i guess and um and expect it to spark lots of conversation for folks i hope that it will all right come back again next week for another episode of that early childhood nerd goodbye bye, bye. And that's the show now go get your nerd on has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.